You're listening to Art of the Flow. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is a weekly podcast that tells our stories of starting and running a float center, providing insights and tips along the way. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Art of the Float, and join the conversation by leaving a speak pipe on artofthefloat.com. The site is also where you can find show notes, links, and pictures from every episode. I'm Brian Van Pesky, the co-owner of Art of the Float, along with Dylan Kong, and we are joined here, as always, with Amy Grimes of Float Nashville and Lance Foss of the Float Shack in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. How are y'all doing this week? Fantastic, fantastic. How are yeah. you? Doing great. Uh, for those who are uh, maybe taken aback by a different voice on the podcast, uh, I'm filling in for Dylan this week because he has a brand new baby. Yay, Yay, baby! So Dylan and Sandra gave birth to uh, Erica Com on November 12th, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful little girl. And uh, Lance is, or sorry, Dylan is off um, being a dad. Yeah, he's he's all floating in bliss right now. He's going to be that way for a little bit, I think. Yeah, no kidding. Amy, what's been going on with your week? It has been a busy, busy week, just the way I like it. Um, This week, I had the opportunity to do something that's really not Float Center related. Uh, uh, From time to time, I actually teach here at a local massage school. And I think it was super good that I stepped outside of my usual Float Center duties and went and did something that... I really, really love, and that is teaching. Uh, And it was a super good reminder being around, first of all, I'm around a bunch of, I call them kids. They're all probably young enough to be my children. Um, But uh, these young adults, um, first of all, the energy was great. I got to uh, expose them to something new and see that light go on in their eyes and watch them do some really, really amazing things. And it, it reminds me that sometimes I get so wrapped up in the float center that I forget to get out and do things that I love. So this week was spent um, getting a little bit of a break, which when I'm happy, when I'm excited, it gets me motivated to uh, to jump back into things there at the float center and do a little bit better. Um, so it was a it was a good week. I got to do something I love. And then I did something I hate this week, too. Um, yeah, everything has to be balanced, right? You can't have one without the other. Um, so I have been noticing that my time management has been going by the wayside lately. And I don't know, I I think most people in the float industry, I could be wrong. Y'all can correct me on this. I think most people are in it with a partner of some sort, whether it's a supportive, uh, uh, spouse or part, you know, romantic partner or a friend partner, um, or a business partner, but there's some sort of partner there to share the load with. Um, I don't know if anybody could, I'm sure somebody could do this without somebody else, but I'll tell you what, we all are wearing a lot of hats. And Mm -hmm. sometimes by wearing a lot of hats, uh, things start falling through the cracks. Um, And it's during those times 
that I had a business coach at one point tell me you need to get a log, like a she she gave me a paper log where I start putting down what I'm doing every single moment of my day. So if I, in my ADHD brain, am in the middle of writing a blog post and all of a sudden the little Facebook icon lures me away, I have to say, okay, stopped writing, uh, spent 15 minutes on Facebook or uh, whatever I'm doing, it has to be written down. Well, I found this really cool app called um, a Time Logger. And I did check it out. It's you can get on Mac. Uh, I'm sorry, on um, an Apple for an Apple. I'm I'm a PC Android person, so forgive me. I know I probably just lost any kind of respect I, I had. Um, so I do have an Android phone, but it, it can be uh, used on both phones. And it's basically the much easier route than a paper where you can track what you're doing every minute of every day. And you become super hyper aware of just how much time is falling through the cracks. And you begin to see patterns of when it happens. And once you're aware of that, uh, you can start to get a little bit more focused and get a little bit more done. So um, I spent two days logging my time. And there was much shame involved as I realized exactly what I was uh what I was not doing and how much time I was um, spending on things I shouldn't have, like, you know, like some video games maybe on my phone, just saying. Um, so I became hyper aware. I know I have, I know, I know it's so bad. I actually turned off uh, Facebook on my phone. Uh, so uh, when you're aware of it, you can start to get a lot more hyper focused and all of a sudden, uh, shockingly enough, my time management skills got a lot better and uh, I'm starting to rearrange my schedule to make things just a little bit better in my world. So I'm hoping that continues and I encourage people, give it a try once once a year or twice a year just to see what you're doing. You will, you'll be, you'll be surprised. Be real surprised. That, that sounds like torture. It, it is. <laughs> it is. It's totally torture. Hate it. You, Hate every you, minute. You said you can use it to find out where those gaps are mm-hmm. or those those cracks are in your time. Mine are gaps. I have some big <laughs> gaps where there's some serious wasted time, some serious procrastination. But so, um, yeah. Amy, is this an app where you, you're manually entering like when you're starting a new task or doing something so, different? Yes. Every time you start gotcha. a new task. The great thing, the thing I like about a time log, it's called a time logger. And the reason I, I like it is instead of having to write in, okay, um, workout, drive time. They actually have little icons and you just hit the icons when you start a new thing. And so I don't have to actually log anything. I'm just hitting a new icon. So like if I'm driving, like I, like today I drove from my house to my gym. So as soon as I got in my car, I hit the car icon. As soon as I got to the gym, I hit the workout icon. So you don't have to actually Right. Okay. Um, cool. You're yeah, just hitting icons and makes it easy. So it's not so so much torture. It is still torture because and, it's kind of like uh, why we all don't like to write down what we eat during the day, like those food loggers. You don't want to see. You do not want to see what you eat during the day. No one really wants to know. And, right. and I'm assuming there is an icon for Facebook. Yes, there's an icon for social media crap. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I, you can actually create new icons. And so there are sometimes I'm on social media and I'm actually working. And it's a good thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, not so much for a lot of my time in the last few days. I did this. So I made a new icon that said goof off. Uh, yeah. That's- there's a lot of that. 
That sounds like not a great anymore. app. Um, I think, uh, if, did you find, if is it available on Macs at all? Uh, you know what? I don't know about Macs. I know it's uh, for Apple uh, iPhones. Okay. Uh, but I don't know uh, about uh, computers themselves. So it's a great thing to download on your phone. We always have our phone with us. And, um, yeah, That's it's an awesome. eye-opener. But it's a good eye-opener. It's yeah. positive. But it's just and, not fun. Uh, something in a, in a very <laughs> similar vein that is web-based but I believe also has apps is Toggle. Uh, T-O-G-G-L um, and that is very similar it's just like you can have shortcuts icons or write a brief description and you hit start say you're driving and then you hit start working and it ends the previous timer starts the new one for you um, and spits out a report and it's useful it's hard work it's a pain in the butt so a bit of, it's a bit of friction but uh, it's great to do that self data analyzing uh, at least once or twice a year yeah, we can't change until we know, for sure. With all this time talking about time management apps, we could have been more productive. <laughs> no, Lance, I'm going to be I'm going to be more productive once I find the perfect to-do app. I'm, I'm I've almost yeah. found it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let me see if they have a procrastination icon on Facebook. Yeah. Lance, what's going on up there in Canada? Oh, I went on a little vacation. By vacation, I met, I got to meet some of my girlfriend's extended family for the first time in the middle of nowhere in a cabin. Sounds slightly scary. It was wonderful? It was scary. I was a little intimidated. It's been a lot of build up to get to this point, but uh, it was a wonderful weekend. Um, For November, it is amazingly gorgeous out. Mm. And. It was nice just to sort of step away from everything for three days and, you know, know I can rely on Matt and my employees to handle everything and it just felt good. It felt like a little reset, you know, like that sort of getting back to yourself and, yeah, focusing on what matters again and, yeah, it feels yeah. good, but definitely feel refreshed coming into this week, so. Yeah, you sound, you sound rested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rested. Yeah. You know, science shows us that we do need those those times of silence. We do need those breaks where we're not thinking about work at all, when the hustle stops, so that when we come back, we come back refreshed, we come back with more ideas, we come back motivated. And you do, yeah. Lance. You're just yeah. you're just glowing. You sound amazing. You look great. You you just seem really happy. Good, good. Well, yeah. thank you. And you know, I bet there's people saying, "Well, you guys run float centers, or get in the float tank." Oops, I just smashed a lamp with my hand. Um, and you know, we do that. We, uh, I do. I float, but it's one thing to float in your business that you have to clean up after right mm-hmm. when you're done, but it's another thing to completely disconnect and check out nature and look at this full moon in the middle of the night, and you know, looking at the stars. Stuff we don't normally do when we're stuck in our daily grinds especially these hustling entrepreneurs or you know busting day and night to do what they have to do it's even though we're in the business of self-reflection and slowing down you know some it's not hard to get get up in that that higher pace and forget to slow down so i learned to make a conscious effort to you know do that a little more so um, as I, you know, you're talking about time management, I need to get some more time management for myself and um, disconnecting a bit more. Yeah. Going into next year, I'm definitely making more time to get out, get away from the phones, get away from work and, mm-hmm. you know, reset. So 
And, you know, that's one thing I found out about those little gaps. It's like all this little bits of time I'm wasting here and there on Facebook. But if I were to put that stuff to the end of the day, I would have time. I would have a concentrated amount of time to actually sit and disconnect a little bit more. And that's kind of the conclusion I came to. We just mm. we just need that. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's such a struggle. And we know everyone knows that there are clear benefits to disconnecting and spending time away. But it's so hard to get there. Um, it's a lot of work to, um, to break that pattern. Really it's, we get involved in these patterns and we need to, we need to disrupt it with a kind of pattern interrupt to kind of get our mind out of that routine of Instagram, Facebook, social media, et cetera. That's sort of every aspect of life. You know, even for those of you that are constructing a float center, you know, you're always like, okay, heating is going to cost this flooring. The float tanks are going to cost this, these huge amounts, but it's all these little purchases that add up the $2 purchases, the $5 purchases, the 50 cent purchases, the $10 purchases. At the end, you're looking at your total cost of your build out. Those little tiny gaps or cracks, they all add up to something very big. So Mm -hmm. it's good to manage the little things. That's for sure. Speaking of the little things, we got the opposite of a little thing. We finally got our logo back after working on it for a few months, and we got some new branding coming out. Um, it's quite a bit different than our sort of traditional cartoony um, logo we had. Our main logo is just um, just a text-based logo. Um, it just says Float Shack. Um, where it says Float, it's just pretty flowy and loopy, and um, where it says Shack, it's a little more edgy and and sharp and we just want something simple because we you may have heard me mention before but sometimes we feel our current branding um it's it sort of reflects something that you try once or you um you know in the med if if we're advertising to someone in the medical field it looks cartoony and fun and not as trustworthy as i want it to so again we're cleaning that all up so we can hit these communities with a little more um yeah a little more confidence i guess you can say that's probably the best word is as we've grown over the past two and a half years we've we've grown and evolved our image and and what we feel fits us most so very excited to be uh actually i think this podcast crew will be the first crew to even see that outside the float shack circle so yeah um once this uh podcast is up go to artofthefloat.com and check out the show guide and there will be uh some images of our new logo in there so um we'll be doing all of our branding all of our website everything is getting redone with our new colors and our new theme so very very nice yes i was talking to um we've been working with a friend who's doing some rebranding as well and they were saying that people should rebrand every three to five years. Um, and just like you were saying, our brand, our colors, even the fonts, they convey a lot of information to people, even if it's not consciously, yes. it has a lot to do with how people perceive you. And I know that I've been very conscious about the fact that our branding has been all over the place for a few years. It's something that we've just not been able to focus on. And yet uh, that can really perhaps give off, you know, that, that not having the same font, not having the same colors, not having something that's recognizable, that can really be a detriment to, uh, to our business and 
to what we're trying to accomplish in the community. So way to go. I, I saw it. I saw your, I saw you post it by the way, Lance, and it looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah, looks yeah great. One of them, great job. One of them is a text logo and the other is what we're calling an emblem. So it's something I want to start using for some of our gift certificates and stuff. We're going to, we got the new cards made. We're putting them in some sort of natural looking envelopes and I'm going to use old wax stamp and seal and sort of stamp those shut with our new emblem and uh, works really well for um, can easily be vectored or printed in very simple and crisp so um, yeah I have no outside opinion on it so uh, may people may not like it may reject it but uh, I, I feel it will be uh, well received so very excited to see what people have to say yeah I think it looks great it's awesome super so we have uh, we have a question from the website that um, was posted in a comment, but I thought we could answer here. And we also have a speak pipe. Um, but before we get to that, I want to thank our sponsor, Float Away. Float Away has been one of our day ones from the very beginning. And um, as you know, Dylan just purchased a new float away tank not too long ago. And I had my first chance to float in that new tank uh, last week. Ooh. And uh, I had... I had a great time in the tank. I had a bad, I had a bad float because I was too busy playing with the tank. Um, <laughs> the the tanks the the latest generation float away tanks are amazing. Um, just the technology in there. Uh, they change the lights um, and the lights uh, fade in and out with the rest of um, the rest of the system that the float shop has going on. And probably my favorite feature is the star field in the lid uh i kept on using the pressure button uh the air button pressing it on and off on and off and seeing the stars fade in and out um in the tank and it's it's an awesome experience for the for the consumer um you know it's while it is about sensory deprivation uh sometimes um having a focal point that you can look at for uh for meditating or uh kind of getting you away from distracting thoughts is really beneficial. So um, I loved my float in float away tank and I'm sure uh, your customers will too uh, if you have a float away tank in your center. So thanks again float away for sponsoring the show. Um, and let's go ahead and get to that question. So there's a question on the website uh, from Dulce Maria Corrales and uh the question is, hi, I am building a sensory deprivation tank and I'm unsure what filter and UV system to purchase. I have read a ton of research, so I'm feeling cross-eyed stupid from too much info. What product, filter, um, UV system do you guys suggest? Thanks in advance for any guidance. Um, I guess I can go multiple ways. Uh, she sort of asked what, um, well, what filter and UV? Um, yeah. You got to go by the square footage of your tank or how much water you're actually moving through that system. Um, there's a bunch of calculations that have to happen to um, figure out what works best for your application. Um, I know for our Oasis, we use a 75 square foot cartridge filter, one micron cartridge filter. And we've also experimented with a couple UV lights. Um, first off, we had... We have two Trident, um, I think it's two series, um, UV lights, and they've worked great for us. Um, no real issues. Uh, and then we also have a Delta. Um, 
the Delta UV, I think we have the same sort of 75 square foot D series, um, Delta UV. And, you know, that's been great as well. I would like to have, you know, if you're building multiple float tanks, I would suggest ordering all your UV lights the same. Um, I don't think it matters which brand you go with. Um, look at the cost of bulbs. See mm-hmm. how much replacement bulbs are. See how easy they are to get. Are they always on back order? I know the Trident um, UV lamps have previously been recalled. Um, they've worked good for us. Um, I wouldn't recommend going with them. Um, our Deltas have been great. They've worked good for us. Bulbs are easy to get. They're fairly cheap. Um, and they look good. I don't know. I think they look great. So uh, I think any of the new D-series um, Deltas will work for you. Um, one thing about UV is I don't think you can have too much UV. You know, a lot, there are some people that run multiple multiple UV housings and bulbs on their system. Um, so really, the biggest, the better. The bigger, the better. Um, but I'm not an expert on any of these. Uh, so it's it's really what works best for your preference. Um, you didn't say if you're building a float tank for your float center or your personal use. Um, if you're building it for a commercial center, I'd go the biggest the biggest stuff you can, um, the most heavy duty stuff you can. Um, if you're building it for your house, well, you have lots of options. You can look around, you can get a smaller stuff. They make uh, smaller UVs for hot tubs and things like that. So, um, it really goes down to, uh, your own personal research. I believe, I don't think there's a one definitive answer of saying this is what you should get. So, and oftentimes, too, it, it'll depend where you're at. Uh, and like you said, if you were doing a center, if you're putting together a float tank for a center, uh, just check to make sure. I, I'm just going to say this because I'm not sure where you're at. And, of course, being in the state of Tennessee, um, some states do require NSF uh, UV. And so if you do have any kind of regulation, just check to make sure. They can give you some guidance uh, if they do require a certain uh, a certain size or a certain type of UV filter, but um, Lance gave you some great information, and um, and yeah, yeah, cleaning those bulbs and getting an access to them is, is a huge thing. So I'm so glad you brought that up, Lance, uh, because it is important to make that part of your routine. Yeah, by what Amy said is cleaning those bulbs is yes, those UV lights are bulbs, but they take maintenance. Those um, quartz sleeves, it's actually a glass sleeve that goes into the UV light, is actually what the water passes around. Uh, and your bulbs go in there. Um, if you have any buildup, any oils or residue that build up on that gla- that quartz sleeve, uh, the UV light isn't going to be able to penetrate to its full efficiency. So every few months, you want to be pulling that apart and cleaning that sleeve. And you want to be doing it with the right materials and the right chemicals. Um, always use gloves when handling these things. You don't want any oils getting on your, like oils from your skin. Your natural oils from your skin that get on these bulbs will actually warm up and create hot spots on those bulbs which will cause them to prematurely burn out so um, always handle with care they're about i think 50 dollars a bulb is what we pay for ours i that may be wrong but that's including shipping up to the good old great white north here so <laughs> that, that always costs a little more with duties and customs but um yeah don't be scared to call the manufacturers and talk to them. You know, a lot of these people have phone numbers on their website. Give them a call. In 10 minutes, you can have all your questions answered from, you know, the experts of that specific product. 
So it sounds like, I mean, there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all system out there. Um, there is going to be a little re bit of research. And I feel like when you're researching these things, it always you always cast a really wide net. You get overwhelmed. Um, but hopefully hopefully some of this advice you can take and kind of narrow your search and uh, find something that will be a, a fit for your float center. Uh, so thanks for that question. And next we have a speak pipe from uh, Greg Ellis from Weightless Float Center in Louisville, Kentucky. What up, Art of the Float podcast peoples? This is Greg Ellis from Weightless Float Center in Louisville, Kentucky. I uh, love what you guys are doing on the podcast. It's super rad. Keep it up. I was talking with Greg Griffin um, about – something totally different about Shane Mouse and floating. He had actually floated at Weightless Float Center, and I guess he's going to be setting up a float at Float Madison as well. And then I mentioned to Greg that I had listened to him on y'all's podcast, and I was telling him that it was the first time I'd actually listened to an Art of the Float podcast while in a float tank. And it was pretty sweet. Uh, it was just cool to kind of like close the loop in terms of podcasting about floating while floating as a float center owner. But um, yeah. It was, it was awesome. I recommend anybody giving that a shot. And I also, every time I listen to you guys, I always imagine everyone's floating in their own float tanks in their individual locations in Canada and Portland and uh, Nashville. And I know you're all not floating in your own float tanks while you do the podcast, but I think that'd be pretty cool to do like a roundtable discussion or a float podcast and see where people's thoughts go, I guess. You know, maybe you'll uh, have more inspirational ideas while having the podcast, although it's probably a little bit more difficult to look at your notes and, uh, you know, stay on track, perhaps. That, I guess, does it. Um, also, I guess, you know, I understand some people wouldn't want to incorporate something like uh, electronics or, you know, um, EMF frequencies or uh, even just, you know, their work straight into the float tank like that. I get it. Uh, I'm kind of a purist in some senses. But then again, I also like to fall off the purist wagon every once in a while. So, yeah, keep up the good work. Everyone's killing it. Hope I can meet you all at FloatCon 2017. All right. Stay salty. Peace. <laughs> Thanks for the speak pipe, Greg. That was great. That was good. I can already, uh, I can already see Dylan calling me up and saying, Brian, how the hell do we do a podcast inside of a float tank? <laughs> I've already thought of it and I've had audio in the float tank. I don't know if I've ever, I think I have talked about that on the show before, yeah. um, but I've put microphones inside the float tank. So if any thoughts or anything come to mind, I can sort of just speak and then it records it. But a simple lapel microphone, you can get them cheap on, um, on eBay or whatever for like on the dollar and you shove them in the float tank, you can get a recorder, put them on top and uh, you have a microphone in your tank. But in order to maintain a decent quality sound, I think we'd need some pretty expensive microphones in there, especially having to be moisture resistant. So uh, maybe one day I have thought of it. <laughs> as long as there's no video on yeah, that I was just going to say, please. as long as it's not a video cast. <laughs> let's, let's give it audio. But uh, I think there's some people over there at Liber who might have some, uh, perhaps some <laughs> suggestions on equipment to use in the tank. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, someday. Float, uh, float podcast of the future. Yeah, someday. We'll get there. 
Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for that speak pipe, Greg. Uh, if you want to leave us a message uh, via speak pipe, you can go to artofthefloat.com from a desktop browser and just click that uh, little gold bar on the side of the window um, and you can leave a speak pipe there. Um, I believe if you're on a mobile device, um, that website, um, that button won't be there. But if you go to speakpipe.com forward slash art of the float, um, you can record from your phone as well. We love hearing from our guests. Um, so if you want to give us a ring, give us a shout out, have a question for us, please leave us a speak pipe. Um, before we move on to our uh, main guest tonight, uh, we'd like to give a shout out to Helm. Amy, tell us about Helm. Yeah. So yeah, I actually do have something to say about Helm. I've, I've felt kind of out of place in the past because I know that Lance has transitioned to Helm and y'all use Helm there at the float, uh, float shop. Uh, but when I had dinner with Graham at the World Aquatic Health Conference, I had to admit to him that the way that we track our numbers is on a pen and paper log. So in Tennessee, I'm required to keep a log three times a day, and we just found that it's easiest. We have a we have a clipboard with a paper with a graph that we made, and everybody carries that into the float room and writes everything down. So we have lots of soggy papers, and Graham was gracious, even though I was very embarrassed to admit that. Um, Graham was really gracious, and right there at the dinner table, he whipped out his phone and he gave me access to Helm in order to keep our log. Basically, our, we now are moving into the 21st century, and we have a real live logbook on Helm, which is pretty freaking cool. Um, there's a lot of disadvantages to having a paper and pen log, like, you know, soggy papers. It might have gotten dropped into the tank once or twice. Um, you know, things happen. Uh, now we simply carry those numbers out. We put them directly on the Helm we log on to Helm and put it directly into Helm. And the cool thing about Helm is it actually turns those numbers into graphs. And I love it because when you have a graph, when you have something visual, it's very easy to tell if there's any anomalies in your, in your numbers. So when we start to see things get a little wonky, we know that we might have a problem. We can head it off before it becomes a large problem. And it's really a great, easy way to keep track of our logs. So that's only one of the many, many things that Helm does. Uh, but I'll tell you what, even though that's what we use it for at this point, it certainly is tempting to, uh, to make that transition. It's a very hardy, hefty um, software for Money Float Center. We're really enjoying it. So thank you so much to the guys there at Helm for allowing me the opportunity to uh, to give it a test run. Great. Thank Good you, stuff. Helm. Good stuff. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our main guest for tonight's show, uh, Matthew Gangloff. Matt, how you doing? Awesome. How are you guys doing? Lance, Amy, Brian, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for showing, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Good, so, so glad I'm so excited just listening to you guys talk. I've got the two pages of notes so far, so I'm happy to, uh, <laughs> to have you live. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sounds like you are uh, just starting your float center, um, and you are you are also a veteran. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So, uh, I live in Missoula, Montana, which is uh, a beautiful little town in uh, western Montana. 
Uh, and we're in the process of opening our float center. We're still in construction, uh, but getting towards all of the finish work. And we recently just kicked off a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign where we're raising the funds to uh, finish out the float center and get our operating cash. So we're squared away on day one. Uh, and we also just launched a campaign where we are uh, essentially raising funds for our Veterans Float Scholarship, which is really the angle I came at this from. And what our Vets Float Scholarship does is it uh, makes the funds available for us to offer 22 free float sessions every month to any veteran of any branch or their spouse who wants to come into our lab and float, no cost. That's awesome. So wow. Matt, you and I talked a few months ago um, yeah. when right after you had posted some things on, on Float Collective there on Facebook, and you have a pretty fascinating story. I mean, this is powerful stuff that you're doing, but to me, what makes it so powerful is why, is the why. Uh, why are right. you doing this and how you got to this point? Sure. So I would mm -hmm. love to uh, hear your story and find out what inspired you to do this pretty cool project you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you guys the short version so we're not sitting here all night. I would just encourage people who want to hear the full story. Uh, you can find us on Kickstarter on our Facebook page. You can take a look at that video. Really uh, highly recommend that you do that. But I'll give you the short version. Um, and I'll start from kind of when I got out of the military and where I ended up from there. It, don't worry, it doesn't yeah. have to be too short. We do <laughs> no, have an entire okay. podcast. All right, all right. You guys, you want the full version. So, no. No, this is good stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I'm probably the least likely guy you would, you would ever see in a flow tank if you would have met me 10 years ago. But my path uh, coming to this point is kind of a long and curvy road, but I think I'm right exactly where I need to be. And so this story starts, uh, let's see, oh, my God, how old am I? almost 13 years ago. I think I was uh, 17 when I first enlisted in the Army. I know that because I had to have my, my mom sign my enlistment papers for me. Uh, it's still something I don't think that she's gotten over. She's actually here. She flew in for our launch party, Kickstarter Aww. launch party. So she's listening to this right now. Nice. Poor woman. Aww. Awesome. Hi, mom. They're, they're all saying hi, mom. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, I joined the army like right out, right out of high school. I I was you know a high school kid of 9/11. I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my future, and I really wanted to be something, you know, be part of something that was bigger than myself and go do something great at such a pivotal time. Um, and and I was really proud of what I did. You know, I had gone through basic training. I had got to my unit. I had gone on my first deployment. I was all you know prepped and ready to get out. Um, and then I was actually stop loss, which if you don't know what that is, is essentially an army policy that says, you know, we don't care what your contract says, you got to stay with us and do another deployment. Right. Uh, and so I went into that second deployment. I did, you know, 15 months the first time and, and 13 or 14 months the second time. And by the time I had gotten out of that second deployment and was getting ready to transition from the military, you know, I was in a bad state. Uh, I was, I was in a, I was in a lot of uh, trouble kind of mentally and physically. And what I thought was going to happen was I was going to get out of the military and I was going to go west. So I was going to find this beautiful place. So I was going to go to college. I was going to do all these things. But that's really not what, what happened. What, what happened was I was struggling with severe PTSD, anxiety, depression, insomnia. I developed issues with 
substance abuse. I was uh, suicidal. And really, it all came up to this point um, where I had hit the lowest of the low, you know, and I made a conscious decision at that point that I was going to change my life. Um, I think that I knew and I think that really everyone knows what those things are that you should do uh, to, to get healthy, to be healthy, to live a better life. I just made the conscious decision at that point that I was going to start doing those from this day because I wasn't going to keep living life this way. Um, and it was almost two years later going through that process, cleaning up my diet, you know, uh, seeing a therapist, doing yoga, doing meditation, doing all these things uh, where I was finally able to find some peace. Right. And so I had graduated college. I had met the girl in my dreams. I had. Uh, found like a really lucrative career. I had started my first business and none of that stuff made me happy. I was still exhibiting the same symptoms of stress, the same symptoms of PTSD. Um, I still wasn't sleeping right. And uh, something that I had stumbled across kind of earlier on in my progression towards, you know, finding wellness was floating. And I have to come clean with the, the whole community right now and say, when I first heard about floating, I was like, man, if that isn't some hippie garbage, you know, I just, I didn't buy it for a second. <laughs> I didn't buy it for a second, you know. Um, but kind of as I got healthier and as I started to dabble in things like meditation and, and uh, vitamin and supplement re regimes, I really started to understand that there are different states of consciousness and some of those are incredibly beneficial. Some of those are not. And I think it was two years ago on my birthday, I'd probably been talking about this for, I don't know, a year or two years. And finally, uh, my fiance, Savannah, my business partner, uh, she had told me, she's like, look, uh, we're going away. We're going to Whitefish. Uh, there's a float center there. And guess what? You're doing this. I'm sick of hearing you talking about it. You're, you're just going to do it. And I have to say that it was probably like, I don't know, maybe 15, because you have no sense of time, of course, 15 or 20 minutes into my first session where I really realized what was going on. Um, and I realized like, man, I've never been in this state before. Whatever this state is that you get in from, from being in the float tank, I've never been there before. And what I was able to do was really look at those, I like to call them scripts that run in your mind, all of these things that govern your behavior and your attitude and your emotions, all of those things that were running in my mind just became kind of like HD and I could almost like see them. Um, and what I learned was most of those scripts that were running in my mind were scripts that I had developed at a time that was the most traumatic time in my entire life some of those served me really well at that point, but most of them weren't serving me anymore. Um, and I think that, at least for me, and I think for many other veterans, what being in a float tank does is it, it it's not about, I like to say, it's not about forgetting your past. It's about acknowledging the impact that your past has on your present. And it gives you, I think, the power to to analyze uh, those things that are coming from your past, affecting your present, and it gives you a way to kind of tweak them a little bit and, and define for yourself what your future is going to be. You're, not, you're no longer defined by PTSD. You're no longer defined by depression. Uh, you're defined by this vision 
that you have of your future, and that vision is never going to be as clear as when you're in a float tank. Yeah. How's that for an answer? That's that's, that's, that's some powerful, powerful <laughs> stuff for sure. I don't uh, remember what the question was. <laughs> you got uh, it. Story. It's describing <laughs> how. What made you decide to make the decision to start a float center? And that's a pretty drastic thing. So I I, I was baffled. I was hooked on my first float, right? And then I was kind of making this pilgrimage back and forth 100 miles north to Whitefish, uh, where uh, Keith Gardner runs ISO Float Center. Great guy, great float center. And so I was kind of pilgrimaging up there. uh, But during the day, I was working as an enterprise IT consultant. I was essentially working with the Fortune 5000, helping them um, uh, revamp their, their billing environment. Tell me if you can come up with something more stressful and boring to talk about than that. Um, But it was kind of in the middle of my discovering floating uh, as something that worked unbelievably well for me, combined with the fact that I was in this job with a bunch of people that I knew that had just gotten out of college, that were just starting their first career, that didn't have PTSD, that didn't have depression, that didn't have anxiety, that didn't have substance abuse problems, um, but were in this place where they were demonstrating all of the same symptoms. And I just kind of looked around the office and I said, oh my God, this is not just about veterans. This is about everyone that lives in this day and age that we live in. We all live at this unbelievably heightened level of stress. And so it was that point where I said, okay, this this is more than just a cool thing that works for me. This is something that everyone needs. Um, and I think the the day that I had that realization, Savannah walked in on me kind of halfway through, partially in tears, partially ecstatic. And I was just like, you know what? I think that I found what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I think it is figuring out how to beat these things myself um, and then sharing that with other people. And now you're here. And now I'm here, baby. Awesome. Well, how far along are you right now? You said you're starting a Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, correct. Um, So so that point where you decided you want to do this to actually launching your Kickstarter campaign, what did that look like? Yeah, so we, uh, let me think. So I think I had my epiphany, if you will, that that I was going to do this, that this was my calling, that if anyone was going to do this in Missoula, it had to be me. This is something I wanted to share. From that point, I think that was March. Um, I went in the day after I had that epiphany and I said, look, guys, I'm going to finish up my work here. Uh, but after that, I'm gone. I'm going to go do this thing. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I'm going to try anyway. And then I think I finally left my job April 1st. In between that time, I had written a business plan, applied for a small business loan. We secured a $150,000 small business loan through, uh, through a local community development corporation. We found a space. We signed the lease. We got a general contractor, kind of all at the same time. Wow. Um, but as, as yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know I'm crazy now. Uh, I didn't have the time. But but so, I mean, as as, as you guys most certainly know, and, and anyone who's probably listening to this podcast does know or should know, 
these things don't always go to plan. You know, I was an experienced project manager. I'd worked construction before, thought I had a really good grip on what we were looking at. But, you know, as we kind of learned and grew and got closer to finishing this thing, there were certain things that we hadn't planned on uh, that are just requirements. Like you guys would hear this stuff and you'd say, of course you need that, you know, but we hadn't planned on that. So we've definitely gone through our challenges. We've gone through some unexpected financial issues. We've gone through unexpected construction issues, regulation issues. Uh, but as it stands today, we are done with all of the major projects. We are done with the rough plumbing. I, I dug up an entire four foot trench around our entire building and just so we wouldn't have to have steps into our shower and uh, all of the rough electricals done and the walls are up and the insulation's in. And so all we have left is finish work and we've got to raise operating cash. And so our thought process behind that was, look, we could uh, go back and we could take out more debt. Uh, it's higher, higher fixed costs. It's, it's a bigger risk. We could give away a, a portion of our company to someone else who doesn't really care about what we do or, or just is looking for their return. Or uh, we could take a big risk and we could tell our story in its, you know, in its raw form and hope that that resonates with people. And I think that what we've seen so far is that our why, as you so elegantly put it, Amy, is, is resonating with people. Um, and I think and I hope that's going to lead to a successful Kickstarter campaign, which allows us to finish out this space in the best possible form we can um, and, and allow our you know, new incoming potential customers to save a buck or two in the meantime and really be part of the experience of creating a float center. What did you do? What... Um how did you make your decision to use Kickstarter? Did you look at other funding platforms? Um, obviously with seems with Kickstarter, yeah. the biggest benefit is more eyeballs, but um, there's also more risk involved as well in terms for of sure. not finishing the project. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, it depends on which end of the stick you're holding. If you get on Kickstarter and you set an ambitious goal and that mobilizes people to support you. You're holding the good end of the stick and, and you then like the Kickstarter model, the all or nothing model. Uh, but there's definitely been people who are going to go, go the other way um, for a number of reasons. And, and they're kind of on the end of, okay, you know, now we don't have that all or nothing platform going on. We can keep it all. Um, but in our situation, specifically, we're in a situation that requires, like we're, we're living that all or nothing. We've got to get there or this dream is not going to happen. Uh, so I think having that built into the platform is kind of integral to getting our base stirred up and, and helping us. Certainly is a big motivator for sure. Um, Tell me, uh, we do get a lot of questions about uh, using this crowdfunding. How has the process been for you? Has it been difficult? Have you run into any big issues? What's been the easiest thing? What's been the most difficult thing about this process? Well, the easiest thing is most definitely the fact that we were going forward with this business regardless. You know, 
the the number one challenge I think that that businesses face if they're going to go towards a crowdfunding model is that they they don't have a business plan yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have any kind of financing. Uh, so the number that they're going to raise on a crowdfunding platform is, you know, 10, 20 X what they should be asking for. Uh, they don't understand how their financial model works yet. So they don't know how they make money off floats. They don't know how much money they make off floats. They don't know what their margins are. They don't know what their expenses are. And so those are like the big hurdles. And also uh, getting an engaged base for a community. Now, we've been at this for six months, so we have the business model. We've secured $150,000 in, in, in small business debt. Uh, we've, we've built this community. And so all of those things were essentially done prior uh, to, to us even conceiving of a Kickstarter campaign. So that's the easy part. Uh, the hard part, I think, is besides all of the platform issues, like you're going to run into platform issues, especially float centers. I'll tell you this right now, Kickstarter is going to reject you the first time. Don't panic. Uh, write them an nice email, explain to them that they've approved multiple float centers before, and this is not a new thing for them, and they'll approve you. Uh, that's a challenge. Another challenge is if you have any kind of uh, dual purpose where you are, like in our, our case, we're not only pre-selling float memberships, subscriptions, one-time bundles, that kind of thing, but we're also raising money for our vets float scholarship. You cannot do that through Kickstarter. You cannot take money from a backer and say, I'm going to then turn around and give this money to a veteran or someone else to float. You cannot raise money in the name of another charity later on down the road. Uh, So we had to get kind of creative in our messaging to both tell both sides of the story, but get them the way that they uh, fit the rules of the platform. Okay. Man, I could talk. I could talk all day about crowdfunding and picking the right uh-huh. platform. But at the end of the day, it's all going to come down to how many people around yeah. you are excited about what mm. you're doing, and that all comes back to your story. I think. Yeah. What um, What I was going to like originally ask um, is. What other means have you done to market your Kickstarter campaign? Like you said, you built a a following. Is that just a social media following or have you approached like local medias and um, things like that? Yeah, we've been really lucky. I mean, we're we're not in a big, big market. It's not Chicago. It's not New York. Um, And through some of my previous work, I have really good uh, connections established both with media and the entrepreneurial community and all of these huge, huge kind of um, hubs that you can go to get great advice and and help and and all these other things. So we were really lucky early on. We got uh, multiple newspaper spots, a spot on ABC, Fox, uh, the TV station. Uh, Since this last campaign, we've gone and we've done an online magazine. We've done the University of Montana school paper. We did uh, radio we certainly wow. have like so the social media following okay. for sure. That that's definitely our strongest uh, base. But then here's one that people kind of in the construction of their float center may underestimate, uh, and it may not be as powerful for everyone as it was for us. But our location is right in the heart of our city. It's equidistant between the downtown area where all the bars and restaurants and great places to hang out are, and the university. And so we have all of this foot traffic going by. 
And what we did was quite simply say, here are some pamphlets. This is what floating is. Here's our timeline. This is what we're doing. And when, when finally uh, we got to the point where we're ready to launch a Kickstarter campaign, you can essentially look in our windows and see the space is 90% done and there's a big float tank sitting in front of the window and we've got it all backlit really pretty and we've got some uh, awesome. flyers on our window so every time you walk past, you know we're on Kickstarter and you know what our rewards are and you know you can get them. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's a lot of a lot more footwork than people may be ready mm -hmm. to do. Uh, but let me tell you, it's a rewarding experience. Just go out, pitch your message, talk to people, tell them what you found useful, tell them what the the concerns are, ask them what they really want out of out of like a meditation practice or a wellness practice, and you will number one, you'll learn everything about your business, and two, you'll learn a lot about the people that you're serving. And I think. Uh, through that approach, through that grassroots kind of ground pounding approach, you can make a lot of headway that you would never get on on social media or an AdWords approach. I was going to say, let's talk about your uh, your program a little bit mm -hmm. and the program you've created. That sounds quite interesting. Um, please, please go on about that. You said twenty two floats a month is yeah. how it's working. So here's our idea. Um, and, and, I, and I love being in this forum to talk about it because the long-term vision of this idea involves you, Lance, it involves you, Amy, it involves everyone in this community. Um, but the, the program that I'm trying to pilot here at Enlightened Lab, it's, we're just calling it the Vets Float Scholarship for lack of a better name. Uh, but what the Vets Float Scholarship does is it partners with donors in our community who are looking for ways to positively impact the veteran community and allows them to donate through a matching and tax-deductible uh, donation through our 501c3 partners to make available 22 free float sessions for any veteran of any branch or their spouse. That's key, spouse, because you don't serve alone. You certainly, certainly don't suffer alone either. So their spouse to come in and use our services for free, 22 each month, for 12 months, that's our pilot program. And then what we would like to do is establish our own 501c3. So essentially we have you know, a, a, a bank account at this high level where you Lance, if a veteran walks into your place and he wants to use your services, you can essentially invoice uh, my vet's float scholarship to have that paid for. You see what wow. I'm saying? And so we're gonna start that at Enlightened Lab the day we open, we'll run that for 12 months. We'll release all of that information to you guys so you can hopefully try to replicate that in some manner. Um, and then I think the long-term goal is to have an organization who automates this process for you. So you see a veteran walk in the door, you say, I'm going to float that guy or gal for free, and I know I'm going to get paid back for it, uh, and the community as a whole is going to be better for it. Wow, that sounds like a game changer. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But the fact of the matter is, is like, we all know what we're looking for. We want the VA or, or the individual's insurance company, if they're in dire need of this, to pay for it. Okay, in lieu of that happening, <laughs> which <laughs> best case scenario, you're talking five, seven, nine years maybe. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are people who are engaged in our community who are looking for ways to help veterans. They just don't understand what all these other organizations do. And if we can give them a clear cut message for what we're trying to accomplish and give them the stories of the people who it genuinely affects, 
um, I think that we can skip this whole process of waiting for the, the, the insurance companies or the VA to come in and bail us out. We can make that change today. And, you know, I've seen you uh, mention this on Float Collective a few times. What are some things that we as individual float centers can do right now to help our veterans in our community? What, what are some things that you can that you could suggest to us? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the question, right, is like, how do we get these guys and girls engaged? Um, and f- as a veteran, I'm going to tell you, it's a difficult thing Mm -hmm. to convince a veteran to do anything. Uh, For whatever reason, they have this, maybe they've been fooled into enlisting or signing a paper before and they don't like it or whatever it is. For whatever reason, it's very difficult to just, as a non-veteran, tell a veteran what they should do uh, to, to make their life better. And so my entire philosophy behind getting more veterans into float tanks is simply to tell stories. Tell the story of, of, of you know, what, what were you going through? What were you looking to get out of this experience? What was the experience like? And ultimately, what did you really get? And so we took a big leap of faith, I think, uh, by going so far on a limb and telling my story in so much detail. Uh, but ways I really want to engage other float center owners in is one, uh, excuse me. So, so let me say that a different way. So where I really think other float centers can plug in and both help us get our float center in, help yourselves by getting, um, helping dial in your veterans program, um, and, and also helping spread the word to more veterans is you can support our Kickstarter campaign today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's live right now. You can go on to our Kickstarter page, which I hope will be in the show notes. Yes. And you can uh, donate whatever amount you feel comfortable doing, minimum of $22, and you select the $22 level. Now, what this does for you is it gets you access to my story, so you can use my story to use for your marketing, share it, you know, do whatever you want with it to advance this message of, hey, this is what it can do for veterans. And then secondly, uh, through our Vets Float Scholarship, we're going to be pumping 22 veterans and or their spouses through our center each month. And all they owe us for that is just a quick interview about, you know, what it was that, that it did for them, if anything. Um, and then what I want to do with that stuff is, is through um, the process of, of giving these veterans these float sessions, we're collecting stories. So we might say, you know, we might have someone come in who was, you know, a you know, Marine Recon guy who was in for 10 years and he came out and he was struggling with PTSD and the float tank helped him in this way. And it comes back to my earlier point about we can't get veterans to do anything uh, if, if it's, you know, just the average Joe off the street telling them they should go do it. But if it's their brother or sister saying, I did this, this is what I was going through. This is how it helped me. And I think you should do it. I think that's where we hit that critical mass where we have the uh, demand at a certain point where then like the insurance companies and the VA can get in there. But I think the first step is one, lower the barrier to getting veterans in these float tanks as much as you humanly possibly can. 
And then two, once they do it, communicate their message to other veterans because other veterans will grab that message. They'll say, oh, this isn't just Joe, you know, somebody off the street telling me to try this thing. This is my brother or sister who found some great solace in this treatment. Maybe I'll try it. And maybe when they go to do that, one of the, whatever center that they go to is participating in our vet's float scholarship so they can do it for free and start it all over again. You mentioned that they're, you know, to, to take away as much of the barriers as possible. What are some barriers that they may face when thinking or considering floating? What are some things that we need to remove for them? The same thing that was my initial reaction. Uh, what, let, let's be frank about what we're asking them to do. We're asking between, you know, age 20 and maybe 45-year-old males to do something uh, to benefit their mental health. Now, that may seem kind of straightforward, but I think we have a real epidemic, not only in this country, but kind of internationally, where men of a certain age aren't allowed to have a, have problems. They're not allowed to be... Um, they're not allowed to be in a bad place. They're not allowed to talk about their struggles, uh, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and I think that jumping that barrier between, hey, this is like a good idea, and there's this, there's this kind of, um, there's this kind of unforeseen benefit at the end of it. Jumping that to say, look, here's some real life experiences of people just like you. This isn't woo-woo hippie stuff. This is real stuff. This is what the SEALs do. And if you guys don't know that, the SEALs do this, right? Mm. And, and I think it's bridging that gap between, hey, there's you know top performers in the military that are doing this to get that edge. You are that same use case. You're just coming from a different place. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... If, say, somebody suffering from PTSD was to get in the float tank and do their first float and come out and say, nope, not for me, not what I want to do, how would you approach that? Would you would you say, okay, come back when you're ready? Or would you say, you know, it's something that may take some practice or, you know, getting used to? Um, I've, I've never knowing how to approach that situation. Um, I've never suffered from anything like that. And, yeah. and, and unlikely no one around me that I know has suffered from anything like this. I don't even like know someone who has served. Um, mm. So, you know, this is a whole, you know, new world for me. And that's why I was, you know, excited to have you on the show tonight is I don't know how to approach um, veterans or those who suffer from PTSD in the proper manner. That's a fantastic question. And, and frankly, you know, I'm not a clinician. I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. I am just someone who has PTSD and, and oh. knows tons of people mm-hmm. who have lived mm-hmm. that same kind of life. And if I had someone that got into the float tank um, and and had PTSD or depression or anxiety or whatever it was, and they were a veteran and they came out the other end and said, nope, not for me. I, I don't like it. I would say, why? Just mm, ask them why. Of course, yeah. Like, what is it about the experience that makes it unenjoyable for you? Mm -hmm. Because you may be conflating two issues. You may be conflating uh, what you see or what you hear or what you feel in the float tank um, with reality. 
And the, the fact of the matter is, is that this is how PTSD works. You have these scripts running in your mind that you developed at some indefinite point in the past that govern how you react to everything today. And what I would say to those people who are afraid coming out of that is, man, are you just afraid of change? Like, what did you see in there that, that makes you so afraid? And I think in many of those cases, it's going to be something where someone got in that flow tank and they realized the depth of what they were dealing with. They realized the, the mountain of progress that's in front of them. And they can do one of two things with that. They can do as I did with just look at the mountain, assemble it into its boulders and start rolling them downhill. Or they can say, I don't like it. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And they can go back to that life where they're just living uh, in this constant cycle of unexamined thought. And especially with PTSD, especially with depression, especially with anxiety, that cycle of unexamined thought can bring you from a totally normal human being to someone you wouldn't recognize in the mirror. And I would say, get back in the flow tank. If that's the reason why, get back in there and face it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you that's... know, I, I'm so sorry, Lance. It's such powerful stuff. And the things that you're seeing are, um, it, first of all, it's really inspiring. Um, secondly, I know that from experience, I've had very little interaction with veterans um, just because of where, where I'm at in life. Um, but in the last few years, I've had several students. I, I do some teaching, as I mentioned earlier, and I do have several students who are, who are veterans. And I know that hearing something like this from you is going to be a lot more powerful and a lot more um, real. And they may take it to heart a little bit more than someone like me who does not deal with that and has not had that experience. Um, you mentioned earlier about in your Kickstarter campaign, the $22 level. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of us have gone and given our $22, which by the way, yes, just, you, I'm going to say on the side that, the um, yeah, <laughs> Um, we can Lance put in more than 22 I'll give you a pass. You're new. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, you mentioned about having access, as flow centers, having access to those stories, um, mm. which may be the tool that we need to to break down mm. those barriers. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I enjoyed the most about you, what you just had to say when I asked how do you, you know, talk to these people and you should share, share stories. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a brilliant way, you know. Um, there, are, there are lots of stories out there. And, you know, as this industry continues to grow, there will be more stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter. I didn't know your Kickstarter campaign came with those stories. Um, but that, well, it all makes sense now. Like putting it all together, it makes sense that... Um, that's something that we could we could share and, and, and approach that community in in a way that now after you know just this conversation we've had, I feel more comfortable yeah. um, going to approach this community. Uh, yeah, at a minimum, Lance, what it does for you is is to say, you know, hey guy, I don't know, but I know this guy who knows. Um, mm-hmm. Here's his story. If that's not enough for you to take a shot at something this innocuous, give him a call. I'm I'm always here. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that the best time that I can spend on this earth is sharing my story 
to people who really need to hear it at the time they need to hear it. And that's partially what this Kickstarter campaign is about. That's partially what uh, this Vet Float Scholarship about. And, and I hope that's what Opening Enlightened Lab will be, is the beginning of my life's work towards that goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Super beautiful. It's so exciting to see, to hear about your journey and, and see you discover, discover purpose and purpose, per, discovering your purpose and helping others is such a, such a powerful and beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Changes everything. Really so does. tomorrow morning when you wake up, um, what are you doing? Where are you at in construction? Like what's, what's going on? Are you on a standstill or are you still putting in those crazy hours? Yeah, so um, I, I'm somewhere in between, I think. I think that we're, we're waiting to get some clarity on where this campaign is going to end up before we start firing on all cylinders. Um, but my day-to-day right now is a lot of general contractor stuff. Uh, that was one of the ways we decided to cut costs was uh, having me act as, as general contractor. Um, and so that's something I have a little bit of experience with, no, nowhere near enough, uh, don't get me wrong, by, <laughs> by any means. But that's a lot of my day-to-day is, is acting as general contractor. But while this campaign's out, I'm really our head evangelist. I'm telling this story in as many places as people will have me and in probably some places where people wish I would just shut <laughs> up and go away. But that's my day-to-day right now. Nice. Great. So, um, when is your estimated opening date? Yeah. So we've got to we've got to be a, a success in this Kickstarter campaign. Assuming that is true, we think that we'll be open sometime in January and have all of our first, at least our first round of rewards um, uh, distributed by February. Okay. Okay. Now you said. Um, you know, you, you sort of made some made some mistakes or missed some things when planning or budgeting. Uh, what kind of advice would you give for people who are in that stage so they don't, you know, maybe make the same uh, hiccups that you may have had? Yeah, I, I mean, I could I, I've probably got a notebook somewhere filled with starred notes that are all massive mistakes that I made along the way. Um, but if I could distill it into one thing. Um, I think it is understanding what an assumption is. Um, And so this is something that I I talk about with businesses that I coach. And and I just tell them, understand what your assumptions are that underlie your business model to make it work. And your job from today until the day that you have hit whatever mark of revenue you've set out for yourself is to go out and prove or disprove those assumptions. So if you are starting a float center today and you say, I'm going for it, I'm doing what Matt did, I'm, I'm quitting my job, I'm getting a loan, I'm doing, doing all this stuff, there's a tool that I use. Uh, it's called the Business Model Canvas. I don't know if any of you are familiar, but it's something that I kind of stole out of my tech startup background and I'm trying to apply to, to float centers And it's just a simple box uh, that has nine segments in it that can describe any business model on the planet. And what I recommend people to do is use this one page piece of paper in each one of those segments, go through and write down what you think each one of these things are. 
So we might talk about things like your value proposition, which should be relatively common for all float centers. You could talk about customer segments. You could talk about customer relationships, how you get, keep and grow customers. Write down everything that you can think of, how your business model works, uh, and then make a plan to go out and talk to people until you can either prove or disprove every single one of those assumptions. So you might assume like, you know, my fixed costs are going to be this. Well, you actually have to go out and prove that or, or, or deny that. And I think that uh, where we get into trouble is thinking, oh, a float center, that's a, you know, brick and mortar, pretty simple, straightforward. You know, you make money on the hour and this and that. Not that simple, guys. You got to go out. You got to do the work. You got to keep uh, proving or disproving your assumptions until there are no more assumptions left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's some good advice. And what, 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 what did you call this template? I'm sorry. The, it's called the business model canvas. Is it's this just, something you could uh, share with us so we can put it in the show notes, or is that some most we definitely? Have to yeah, pay it's, for, it's, yeah, it's free, open source. Cool. Uh, there's all kinds of tools that you can pay for if you want, but there's a free online course. I actually used to teach an entrepreneurship course at the University of Montana, and I built my whole course off this. Uh, it's taught by a guy named Steve Blank, who's a legendary entrepreneur and, and teacher of entrepreneurship. Uh, it's on Udacity, and we're using Audacity, Udacity.com. It's called uh, How to Build a Startup. Uh, it's free. It'll be free forever. And that will actually walk you through each of the nine segments of this business model canvas and give you prompting questions um, and allow you to kind of go through with a, with a guided mentor via video, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but go through and actually fill this out for your business and give you some pointers on actually how you go about that process of getting out of the building and proving or disproving your, your mm-hmm. hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to love to go through it, but I'm sure many, many listeners will uh, love to have that as well. So yeah, like actually, powerful tool. I share my, uh, the, the business plan that I actually wrote to get the small business loan. And that is directly modeled off the business model camp. So you just take each section and that's a section of your business plan. So that's, it's an alternative way to do it. It's not adopted kind of across the board, um, but it's a great starting point, especially if you don't have a lot of experience writing business plans and doing finance. And that kind of thing. Awesome. That's great. Um, so just, uh, I just have a couple more questions. Um, it's been a long time since I built a float center. Well, not that long, but things have changed a bit. Um, what float tanks did you go with and why? What did mm. you choose? Yeah, I mean, we went right to the source. I went to uh, my buddy Keith Gardner, who runs Isofloat Center in Whitefish, Montana. Great guy. Uh, huge props to them and what they do. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, Keith, you know, I, I won't say what he has today, but I said, Keith, you know, you got these, these kind of tanks today. What do you think? What would you do if you had to do it all over again? Uh, and he said, oh, man, I would go with Superior. Uh, and, and there was a list of reasons why uh, he, would, he would do that. Customer service, uh, no inline heating pads, that kind of thing. Uh, I did the research. I loved what I saw. I found another float center nearby who had the same equipment. They had a great experience. Um, and I think that the way that we're trying to position ourselves as a float center, we really want to have, you know, kind of top of the line uh, equipment 
uh, to kind of, you know, fit the business model that we foresee us having, which is, it's definitely not a budget float center. It's not a, it's definitely not a top tier in terms of price float center, but the quality of the product is paramount to us. And so that's how we made our decision, frankly, is, is who we thought could support, uh, support the kind of uh, environment that we wanted to have. We wanted to have top tier equipment, best in class filtration. We wanted something that was beautiful and nice to look at. Um, but we also wanted a company that we trusted and could talk to. And for us, that was superior. It may be someone else uh, mm-hmm. for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, Chevy, Ford, or Dodge. Which, sure. you know, which one? Yeah. This one's, no, no. You know, <laughs> right. they're all the same. They all break, they all do their thing. Yeah, um, sure. But how many did you choose to go with? So we've got two, um, two, but in our build-out process, we've framed out five uh, soundproof float rooms that will all have their own shower changing area, zero entry, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so our our thought process here is, you know, from from a pure getting a business up and running perspective, I think two tanks was the right level for us to get started with. Um, but obviously our goal is to bring those up to 70, 85, 90% booked and then, you know, leverage that to, to, mm-hmm. to expand into more room. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think it's, it's been a blast having you on the show tonight and learning Can I come about every week? Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a party around here. Yeah. I love I it. I like it. Um, Amy, do you have any more questions for him? I know I learned a lot. It feels... uh... Yeah. Not only did I learn a lot, I'm feeling really inspired right now. Um, I want to go grab some vets and put them in tanks. Um, Willing. Willing ones, of course. Um, So, yeah, uh, you're doing some really fantastic things, some really exciting things. It sounds like uh, the barriers that we face with our vets, if they check out your Kickstarter, you're going to be offering some tools to people who support you, some offering some tools to take down those barriers and help make it easier for Float Center. So um, bless you for for doing that. And I'm super, super excited to see where you're going. Congratulations on what you've done so far. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amy changing the world yeah congratulations if people want to to help you out contact you in any way or donate to your kickstarter um how can they reach you yeah so i shot brian a list of all of the relevant uh links that could hopefully go in the show notes yeah Yeah, you can find us on facebook uh you can find us at our website uh www.enlightenlab.com facebook at enlightened lab and if you get anywhere near our Facebook, you'll be bombarded with uh, thousands of ways to click through our to our Kickstarter campaign or find them in the show notes. And awesome. I'm just going to say uh, real quick, Enlighten is E-N-L-Y-T-E-N lab.com. Correct. Correct. All right. Yeah. Thank Good you deal. so much. That's a great point. Yeah. Thank you. Good deal. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's another podcast in the bank and another wonderful guest on the show. Again, we'll have all the relevant links to Matthew's Kickstarter um, and a few other things that were mentioned in the show notes on the website. So be sure to check that out at artofthefloat.com. And thank you all for listening. Have a great week. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Wow, what a great uh, guest, you guys. What did you think about that? Ah, that was fantastic. I feel invigorated. And once again, it just makes me very proud of what we're doing in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the whole, 
I think the whole appealing to veterans thing has just has so many benefits, especially in terms of, I mean, clearly these are people that would, would benefit from the therapy that flotation tanks provide. Um, but I was really excited by the potential that, hey, the more veterans we get in, the more possibility it'll be down the line that insurance companies and, um, you know, veteran support will yeah. will include this as part of their support structure for veterans. And I think that'd be an amazing thing to, to see come to fruition. Yeah, lots of possibilities for sure. Um, those are some powerful stories and they always make a difference and pave, pave ways. Totally. Yeah, it was, it was- it was great to have a vet on the show. Um, I, I hope we can get some more on it and share some more stories. Cause like you said, it's a stories that's really going to be getting, um, uh, this community in the float tank. So I think we need to make an honest effort to get some more, um, stories of veterans who are using, um, float tanks to overcome, um, some of the issues they may be facing. Yeah. Agreed. Well, uh, Thanks. Thanks for allowing me to be your guest host for the night while Dylan's off being a daddy. And uh, thank, uh, thank you, all you listeners, for joining us. And we will see you next week. You're listening to Art of the Float 